Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield. Soybean prices have been crazy. Who would ever have thought we'd even be flirting with 16 and beyond and what it's meant this week in volatility. More importantly, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and this whole battle that's going on between them, the, the he said, he said, per se. And where is this taking our markets? Because we know there's been some concerns coming from producers' aspects as they look at it all. Well, let's take a look at these cattle prices and more. It may be small, but this little bean fuels a lot of power. It powers a food industry as a top source of protein. It's a fuel that powers diesel engines with fewer emissions. It powers a state economy and bottom lines. And it powers the rest of the world as a top Nebraska export. Yeah, it may be small, but we're finding more ways for this little bean to power Nebraska. Well, we'd like to welcome now to the screen as we bring on Sam Hudson. He is with Corn Belt Marketing and Mike Zuzlo with Global Commodity Analytics. And interesting times that we're in right now with these trades. And I want to start out with Russia and Ukraine. And, and Mike, I want to start out with you asking what you're hearing on this and what this all means to our producers. Well, I think what we're hearing is a continuation of a, a back and forth, Susan, of ramping up hostilities potentially into a real conflict and then backing off with diplomacy. But I think what happened on Friday afternoon as we went into the close with the crude oil jumping 5%, I think the market is starting to realize that we're probably running out of the diplomatic runway and that the con conflict issue is probably increasing in likelihood. And I say that from a standpoint of the ag commodities and the idea that if uh, the, the Russians are moving into uh, the Baltic with their warships uh, out of you know Syria or out of Turkey, which they did this past week, um, the idea of some type of naval blockade in, in terms of Ukraine or Ukrainians uh, is getting better and better in terms of likelihood. And so I think very few in the market understand at this point. I mean, it's Sam obviously is an exception to this, but I think people that are in this trade right now don't realize that the corn really has had the potential to be bottled up in terms of a bottleneck because Ukraine does about 58 million tons of wheat and corn. Russia does about 40 million tons of wheat and corn. Only about four and a half of that is corn. And so if Russia would blockade the Baltics and the Ukrainians couldn't ship out corn, I think while the trades probably priced some of that in for the wheat, I don't think they really began to think about that until Friday's close. And Sam, what about the input costs? Because we've heard a lot of talk of uh, fertilizer prices already tripling in some areas. But as I talked to one grower, he's worried that it could go up even higher. Yeah, it's possible. And I think this will be an interesting dynamic as we go into the 2023 season, uh, you know, really in the big picture, because most of the needs for this coming year are, are booked or committed. Uh, there is some question on whether or not some of those supplies will even be available for application, but I wouldn't really be putting my cards into that just yet. Uh, and this does, you know, kind of filter into fertilizer exports out of that region, just as well as corn, wheat or anything else. Uh, you know, if there's an invasion, number one, does it happen? Number two, if it does, what type of, of breadth and depth and invasion are you looking at? Is this something that could last six months to a year? Is this something that could be over, uh, you know, with a quick flashpoint? 
uh, and then becomes an afterthought before we even get to summer. So um, as Mike mentioned, the crude oil market uh, put in some additional risk premium in here ahead of the weekend. We saw the same thing with wheat and corn as soon as the news broke. Um, but we also saw conflicting reports of that uh, within minutes. So I think this is going to be a fluid situation over the weekend. I, I think there were a lot of uh, thoughts, and including my own, that if this were to happen, it may not happen until after the Olympics anyways. But uh, it looks like we're stoking the flames into the weekend either way. And having said that, there's a lot of what ifs that are out there, but the market's been playing on these what ifs and what we could see in the near future. That's right. And, and, and you know, it's happened on a, you know, on both fronts. So you got South America and this other situation, you know, we're talking about disrupting some of the logistics on top of disrupting the supply in general. Uh, and the U.S. is kind of caught in the middle of all of those. And if any, if not for nothing, we've actually probably seen a detriment to our wheat exports so far. We've got a 30 percent plus stocks to usage ratio here in the U.S., and it really, there's not a big threat unless, uh, you know, there is a confirmation that the world has to come after those supplies. And that's really been the backstop for corn and bean acreage, which is becoming a hot topic of conversation now as well as we head into spring. All right. As we continue with the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and the checkoff. We're going to switch gears and look at these soybeans, Mike. Who would have thought we would have been flirting and even going above that $16 mark? Yeah, the trade certainly is pricing in more like a 2011, 2012, 2008 type price action. In fact, I went back to the mid-70s this week and looked at November bean prices and that high we made in November this week, Susan, of 1469 and three quarters in the month of February for new crop November. That to me is a record. We've never been this high. So, <clears throat> excuse me, when I when I think about risk premium and what you're talking about, and I think about hedging and risk management, I really think that the soybeans have probably overdone it in terms of risk premium. I think traders funds have been buying beans, selling corn, buying beans, selling wheat, just buying beans. And I think the meal obviously is a big reason for that. And, and rightfully so. China is reportedly hungry for meal. Their prices are rallying. Their margins are getting up to very high levels, almost $140 a ton by some of the numbers that I look at and say Shandong province, China. But I think this is where the beans, I think, are carrying a substantial premium, especially in the new crop. And I think we really want to think about that as we cover this February base price for crop insurance. And I think 2008 is a good model year. And we went up about 70 to 75 days between uh, January and March. And we eroded the price rally within about 15, 20 days back during that time period. So stocks to use ratios after this report, uh, very high compared to what I think the trade's trading. Um, if we took 10 million tons off of the ending stocks and kept the demand the same next month, we'd still be about 2% higher in stocks to use ratio globally for soybeans than we were back in 2008. So several different layers suggest to me we've got a premium in this market. So can we, in the next week or so, get to that 16 plus mark and stay there more than just flirting with it for a day? Yeah, I think they want to because we don't know the answer on the South American weather, but I think both in terms of hard red wheat and South American weather, we're only probably 10 days out from being able to cut the crop again in both wheat and hard red wheat and soybeans and corn in southern Brazil and Argentina as well. So I think we'll know in about 10 days uh, whether that 125 number is correct or whether the market wants to even take it lower. So as long as wheat is participating in the rally, I feel like the beans can go higher. All right. What about corn, Sam? Because are they being kind of pulled along by this soybean complex? Well, to a certain degree they have. And, you know, it's been interesting because we've seen most of the damage take place in Argentina and they're one of our main export competitors, especially in the back half of the season. Uh, but we've continued to see, you know, demand just remain on pace. And that's despite the price rise. 
Uh, I agree with Mike. I mean, it, how, how do you really give up these real high prices this early in the year when we've seen such a big loss in South America that it will necessitate a good crop here in the U.S.? We can debate it, you know, 125 plus or minus, but that number from Conab, I think, is going to hold well into April. And by then we'll be talking about our weather and it'll probably be more meaningful. Uh, when you talk about really depleting carryouts, soybeans specifically, um, you know, if that's to happen, it's going to happen based on counter seasonal demand that we're not going to see show up probably until this summer. And that's going to be predicated on the weather. So until then, I think you trade a really broad, volatile range uh, as we start to learn, uh, you know, the outcomes of some of these things and what it's really going to mean for demand amidst all this inflation. So this looking at the, the grain side of it yet for a little bit, this is the perfect uh, tale of two corn belts, shall we say. And I want to start with the eastern corn belt, Sam. How is Mother Nature treating you guys in this winter month? You know, we haven't been uh, complaining as much about moisture as they are west of the Mississippi. We've seen, you know, really from eastern Iowa, parts of northern Iowa, all the way stretching out to Nebraska. And of course, the plains, we've seen things remain very dry. But uh, along the Illinois and Ohio Valley, uh, we've seen some regular snowfall. Granted, you know, you look at things historically over the last three to six months, and we're still a little bit behind. But it's so early that we can change that pretty quick in March and April. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to be a necessity to see those planting windows open up. Haven't heard anyone be too concerned about things in general. If it's still dry around here uh, come late May, I think you'll really start hearing people crying. But I think the bigger issues are going to be out west uh, from a dryness standpoint. And Mike, we can attest to that. We've got cracks in pastures and and driveways and county roads that you could lose your car keys in. So is there some concerns for the Western Corn Belt? Well, there should be. And I think this is where the market is, I think, really super hyper focused on the soybean market. And as we go into this $16 level, I think you're starting to see and I think you'll continue to see the beans maybe look back towards corn and wheat and say, are you guys coming? If not, maybe the corn and wheat lead the beans higher to that next leg if we're going to do it on a, on this weather supply driven market, Susan. But the drought monitor maps and the, the ag and drought maps were shocking to me. Um, and I think the trade's still playing back backdoor uh buy beans, sell wheat, buy beans, sell corn, and not really looking at it. In fact, the hard red wheat, winter wheat uh, drought went up to 71%. That's uh, over double where we were last year at this time at 31%. And even the corn and bean drought uh, in ag uh, for the United States jumped up anywhere from 2 to 4 to 6%, depending on which maps you look at and which areas. So we've got a substantial issue on our hands, and Nebraska really was part of that this past week as far as a significant jump in the drought versus the prior week. So I think what I've told clients, what clients are telling me in this part of the country, when you look at winter wheat, they're losing tillers right now in Wichita based upon some clients I've talked to. You go out west, it's even worse. Down in south, uh, I've got a client near Paris, Texas. His friend, his neighbor is going to start planting corn a month early. He's going to start this week instead of first week, second week of March. So we're going to make some pretty wild decisions in this part of the country if we don't see that weather pattern change. And that's where those models are split right now. So let's switch it over, Sam, as we get ready to wrap up uh, on the feedstuff side for our livestock producers. Concerns as they watch a lot of green on the screen for these grains? Yeah, you know, I think you just have to be ready to deal with these these price levels, at least into early June. You know, if, if, if we've seen these losses in South America and then we get off just to a perfect start here in the U.S., it's possible that you distribute a high and maybe leak out into the summer months as the world buyers realize they may be able to stay hand to mouth. But uh, if the opposite takes place and we put any sort of fear into, into things in March, April, or excuse me, in April, May, primarily, I think you could really see things uh, you know, continue to rise. And so having some coverage, at least out to that time frame, I think is a necessity. 
um, and then reevaluate uh, as we get a little bit closer about you know how far out someone wants to go with it. Well, thank you both for joining us this week. I want to remind folks that commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable for all investors. And that has been this week's Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup.